Welcome to the third episode of the Extra Innings Podcast here at the Seattle Times. I'm Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish coming to you from an undisclosed studio in Tacoma, Washington, better known as my office. Um, this is our weekly foray into baseball and audio failures, <laughs> which I don't know if we'll ever get figured out right now. I don't think I have a career as an audio engineer, that's for certain, or actually just using technology right now. I feel like well, like Larry Stone when he gets kind of flustered with his computer. Um, this week's episode is pretty cool. We were able to get Scott Service for an, an interview. Now, it's a little different because basically I was filling in for Dave Mahler on Thursday for uh, Sports Talk Radio KJR, and the Mariners and Scott agreed to do an interview for that show. I'm thinking largely because it was on live radio in Seattle at drive time. But the folks at KJR let me take that interview and then post it on this podcast. So we'll have that. And Scott was good. He talked a little bit about 2016, what went right, what went wrong. He, he did a little self-reflection on himself as a manager, how he felt, what his strengths were, what his weaknesses were. Uh, and I thought it was pretty honest and frank discussion about, you know, the things he learned. Um, after, you know, later we in the interview, we went into the 2017 season talking a little bit about what Gene Segura is going to bring to this team for next year. Um, we talked a little bit about how it's going to be for him as a manager to have to play Daniel Vogelbach, Mitch Hanniger, and Ben Gamble possibly at the same time on a daily basis. And he discussed kind of his philosophy with that. And then we also uh, talked a little bit about Danny Valencia and Nate Carnes. Valencia is a guy that you know doesn't have the best reputation around baseball. He, he's been on seven teams in six years. He had the incident with Billy Butler uh, with a fight in the clubhouse. And Scott gave us kind of how he would an idea of how he wants to handle uh, Valencia and, and kind of his conduct going forward. Before that interview with Scott, we also did our weekly segment, Spelling with Stoney. Uh, I don't know if you'll be able to hear some of the answers, but let me get you, let me offer you this now. I, I'm certain you know that he probably didn't spell most of these things right. Um, but later in the in our interview with Stoney, we also talked about the Hall of Fame candidacy with Edgar Martinez. Larry wrote a column about a week ago discussing the upward trend. I think right now Edgar's about at 68% as I record this. That's good. I, I think he'll finish around 55%, and that'll be a huge boost for his candidacy going forward. Um, Big thanks to Midnight Salvage Company, my friend Brayson, for giving us the the tracks for the, the lead-in and bumper music. As I said before, if you've got a band and you want to get some MP3s, send me some MP3s. I'll play them as lead-in music or bumper music for these for this show. My email is rdivish at gmail. Go ahead and send me those. And, you know That way we're not breaking any copyright laws. Um, so without further ado, here's this week's podcast. Welcome to uh, Spelling with Stoney. Uh, as we do each week, we have Larry Stone on to spell names of baseball players within the Mariners organization or baseball and see how badly he gets them wrong so that I can make fun of him. I actually talked to Larry's son, Jordan, who thinks it's a great segment. So 
without further ado, let's start with a. We'll start with a third base coach, Casey Candale. Larry, Casey Candale, used in a sentence. Casey Candale is certifiably insane before most games if you were around him. Well, I was going to say that this segment will go on until I get one right. It'll be still going in like 2030, but I think I got this one. Okay. I think I do, but I'm, I'll probably mess it up anyway. Uh, C-A-S-E-Y, Casey, Candel, C-A-N-D-A-E-L-E. Wow, correct. Larry Stone. That is impressive. <laughs> nice try. Nice try. All right. Uh, you got one more. Uh, he's no longer in the organization. Michael Guaype. Michael Guaype, which I used to joke was an ancient Venezuelan name, meaning can't throw a strike in the strike zone. Uh, Michael is, is, is as tricky as Guaype. I think it's M-Y-K-A-L, Guaype, G-U-I-P-E. And I probably got them both wrong, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. It's M-A-Y... C K O L, Guaype, G U A I P E. But you know, you made a good effort. You made a good effort. If he if he had made it to the major leagues and I had to type it more often, I would have. Oh yeah, now you're just holding against the kid. He made it to the major leagues several on multiple occasions. I might add. Yeah. Well. Okay. Now you're holding it against him to make the bigs. Wow. I see how you roll. You're right, he did. Okay. Um, so let's, uh, now that we've done that, now that I can make fun of you about that uh, for <laughs> later in there. Uh, Larry, if you didn't read it, Larry wrote a column earlier. Well, I think it was Sunday's column. Was it for Sunday's paper? No, it was for Friday's paper. It was originally okay. going to be for Wednesday's paper, and then Richard Sherman uh, went a little crazy, so I had to uh, write that on Tuesday for Wednesday. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Hey, yeah, that was I, w- I was there for that. That was interesting. Um, okay, so anyways, you wrote a column about Edgar Martinez and uh, kind of the changing thinking behind a lot of voters. Um, uh, kind of explain people what went into it. Well, I just you know that uh, there's a guy named Ryan Thibodeau who has a Hall of Fame tracker that does an amazing job of tracking everyone who makes their vote public, whether it be in a tweet or a column. A lot of people now just email their, their, their Hall of Fame votes directly to Ryan, and he has a spreadsheet where he has everybody's votes, every single writer who has made their votes public uh, in a spreadsheet, and he has calculated how many votes every player on the ballot has gained or lost from last year. And Edgar is, is, I noticed, was just making a remarkable uh, jump ahead. He's, he's now up, I think when I wrote it, he was up 12 or 13. He's now up 19 votes over last year, which the, the tracker doesn't get every single vote. And there tends to be a drop from the, the, votes, the votes that are made public to the, to the actual votes. Usually he, Ryan finds that it's about 4%. Uh, drop normally for a, for a, for a player. So if he's at sixty seven percent, that means he'll probably end up around sixty two, sixty one. But that's still even if he can if he can get into the sixties, that would be a tremendous jump from last year and really put him in good position. Was there any uh, common 
thinking or anything? I mean, what, what was the reason for a lot of these guys? Well, uh, I talked to uh, either talked or read the uh, the explanation of just about everyone at the time who had changed their vote, who uh, guys who were not Edgar supporters and suddenly this year were. And there were a couple of things that came through. One was just the ballot. There was room on the ballot, which, uh, as you know, is is a real. It's getting to be a, a challenge for for voters. It's just kind of a backlogged ballot. And with Griffey going in last year and uh, Piazza, you know, I voted for Trammell last year in his last year on the ballot, and he's not on it anymore because he reached his maximum number of years. So that, that was three openings for me, and a lot of guys experienced that as well. So there was just room for Edgar for some guys who said they wanted to vote for him in the past, but they just couldn't. Uh, another thing, I think, is that there was just a lot of uh, uh, support for Edgar on the Internet. You know, a lot of essays that guys wrote, Jonah Carey and Jay Jaffe from Sports Illustrated. The Mariners sent out a really good... Uh, uh, mailing with uh, with reasons with with Edgar's credentials that was influential. I think I think that that really now every everybody kind of looks for that stuff this time of year, and uh, I think it changed some minds. There were some really good arguments in his favor that changed some minds. Uh, more than one person told me that. And then I, the other thing that I found was that the uh, the David Ortiz farewell tour last year kind of made people think about the role of the DH. And I think it's sort of understood that, that Ortiz is going to be a surefire first ballot guy. And then you read some, some of the advanced stat guys who make the case that Edgar's uh, statistics, at least in war and, and OPS plus and those things is better than Ortiz. So if, if Ortiz is going to go in slam dunk, then I think a lot of people are saying, well, Edgar's got to go in too. You know, you you don't think you don't think that Ed, that Ortiz that Edgar is the equal of Ortiz because Ortiz had all those home runs and everything. But if you look beyond the home runs, Edgar Edgar more than holds his own with Ortiz. That's something I thought about. I mean, look, you know, everybody was expounding about the greatness of David Ortiz all all summer. You know, all these things he had done, and then when you look at the total work, you're mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, that's not even close to what Edgar has done. And I think you're right. I think the Jay Jaffe piece. Uh, especially pointing out that how much you detract from your overall war number, and we have a lot more writers thinking about war, and how yeah. much being a DH detracts from that, and yet he's still, you know, in the upper echelon, you know, that shows how good of a hitter he is. I do think, you know, you're getting some younger voters, and people are th- changing their thinking. We're not, you know, you know, the the enormity of the, the BBWA isn't all middle-aged white men. It just feels that way. <laughs> they listen to Springsteen all the time, but... Um, but no, I, I think that is important. Um, in in your in your mind, do you think he gets the fifty five percent this year? I think he does. Although I think the, there's a little bit of a danger in getting a little too giddy here, because mm-hmm. I think the pe- the people who tend to make their vo- votes public, uh, you know, who use Twitter and social media, tend to be the younger, maybe more uh, attuned to uh, modern metrics guys you know the older establishment who doesn't necessarily use social media or or the like might be more conservative and have more of a uh a prejudice against a dh or you know like i think has has hurt edgar for all these years so uh 
you know, maybe maybe the the bulk of his support is coming forth now, and and when the vote comes out, all the people who we don't know about will uh, bring him down. But again, I mean, last year he only dropped four percent from the public ballots to the to the actual. So uh, maybe he'll do a little bit higher. I think he'll, I think he'll break fifty this year, and I think he'll be close to fifty five. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to get to 60. I'd be real surprised. But 55, anything around there, uh, I think would be real good. Because I think there is also sort of a a wave that builds. You know, if a guy's stuck around 20, you, you wonder what everyone, kind of wonder what everyone else is thinking. And and you almost don't want to waste a vote on a guy. I, you know, I've, I know some guys think this way that it doesn't have a chance. But when a guy starts to get some momentum, you saw this with Reigns, who was at he was a he was at forty three percent two years ago. Now he's now he's pulling at not over ninety percent. Uh, there is a wave that of uh, momentum. When you get close to your using up your eligibility, uh, everyone gives you a much closer look because you know that you're not going to have another chance. Guys in their second, third year, you might not vote for them and say, well, I'll, I'll readdress that in a couple of years if it's a borderline guy. But you're seeing it with Reigns. This is final final year on the ballot, and it looks like he's going to sail into the Hall of Fame when you know he was at 20% his second year on the ballot, and like I said, 43% just two years ago. Uh, as Edgar goes to his next to last year and then his last year, I think a lot of people are going to give him a real close look, and, and I think... Uh, there is a sort of a sentimental uh, uh, lift that you get in your final couple of years, and that's going to help them as well. Yeah, that the time factor is always a, a thing that, that I think people take into account. I do think that people are looking around going, okay, yeah, he's only got a few years left, so you do have to vote for him. It'll be interesting too. You know, I think some more votes are added this year. I know a few more going next year, so that changes the thinking as well. I, yeah. I don't know when they start losing votes per se, but that's, um, you know, with, with the way the voting has changed, but I think that's um, that's an, that is something that's going to kind of come about. Um, yeah, next year, Mariano Rivera, Jim Tomey, and I think Todd Helton go on the ballot. So those are three guys that will certainly Mariano is going to is going to get it'll go in easily. I think Tomey will go in pretty easily. Uh, Helton will get some support. So you know, there's a, right now there's four. Four people who might go in this year, judging by the the, the balloting, you've got uh, uh, Yvonne Rodriguez, Bagwell, uh, Reigns, and, and uh, you know uh, Vladimir Guerrero and Hoffman are all looking good. So that's you know five who are teetering around um, going in. So the more that go in, the better it will be for Edgar because. With Rivera and Tomey entering the ballot, that's going to fill up that the, those ballot spots that that become vital every year. Now that there's so many uh, guys that are getting consideration, as the the you know Bonds and Clemens and those guys stay on the ballot year after year. That'll be interesting to see. You know, then we can go. Maybe if Edgar makes it, we get to go back to Cooperstown again. We can do planes, trains, and automobiles. Again. <laughs> yeah. If we do that, we're not going through Chicago. That's my only stipulation. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I want no part of that either. So when when do you get your vote? Is, uh, it's coming year, soon, right? isn't it? Next, next year. year, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be voting next year, and next year everybody will have to put. They will post the results of everyone's vote next year. Yeah. Was voted on by the BBWA. So there'll be no anonymous votes this year. No, and uh, after this year, you know, this year is the last year of anonymous votes. 
Yeah, that'll be interesting. I think uh, I, I just wonder if those three people who didn't vote for Griffey would have done that if they knew that they were going to get outed. Yeah, it's amazing I, that they still haven't been outed. So who do you think will be the first unanimous one? I think Jeter is going to be a strong candidate. I think some people may not vote for Rivera he's a just closer. because he's a closer, but he's going to get over 95%, I think. But but Jeter, you know, he's he was so popular, and his credentials are so strong. I know there's people who, who, who rag on his defense and everything, but he's one of those guys you just can't look at and say he wasn't a Hall of Famer. I mean, his defense was fine for most of his career. And uh, and his his hitting was you know was so good that uh, and he's he's just he was the darling so he, I think he'll come close but I doubt if he'll even get unanimous. Okay, well this, we'll wrap it up this week, but I want you to prepare Mark Zepchinski next week on Spelling <laughs> oh, with Stoney, So prepare yourself. Well, I'm I'm coming down with the flu. I'm just warning you. <laughs> I don't. I feel great, but I just I just have a hunch I'm coming down with a flu the the day that we're uh, we're gonna do that. As no, as people. How about if I just pronounce it? Can I just pronounce no, it and win? No. no. Okay. And as people know by the audio quality of this, we're not sitting next to each other, so I don't think the flu will be a big issue. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks. All right. Man. Okay. See ya. And now we'll quickly transition into uh, our interview with Scott Service. Um, Big thanks to Sports Radio KJR for providing the audio to me for the podcast and also to the Seattle Mariners, specifically Fernando Alcala, for helping set up the interview and Scott for coming on. Sports Radio KJR, uh, we are joined by a guy that I talk to so much that he's probably sick of me and yet he agreed to talk to me in the offseason. <laughs> Mariners manager Scott Service joins us from, I believe you're in Wisconsin, aren't you? Yes, I am, Ryan. How's everything in Seattle tonight? It's gray, kind of rainy, cold, uh, probably a little bit better than the weather in Wisconsin, but m not by much. Yeah, no, actually, I'm back here uh, visiting some family and friends for a few days, but uh, always look forward to talking M baseball with you. Oh, that's good. That's good. I, 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 that is something that's different, uh, you know, with the job. I mean, you've done every kind of job in baseball, but the the obligations of a manager outside of the game they had to it had to be a little eye opening for you wasn't it? Oh, a little bit. It, it's a different schedule, obviously, than what I was used to. Um, you know, kind of you know traveling the country for about eleven months out of the year, quite frankly, and really traveling the world. You know, trying to find players and doing the player personnel stuff and helping with player development. Now, you know, my sole focus, obviously, on our on our forty man and twenty five man roster in Seattle and keeping up with our guys in the off season, um, you know, talking with our coaches and, you know, at this time of year, things do slow down, but uh, the nice thing about uh, when, when the new year rolls around, it's like, it's on, you know, I think we're, we're right around 50 days or less to spring training right now. So once you get past the holidays, it really gears up and I'll do some traveling and get a chance to see a few of our players before they, come into spring training before we get out to la to this coming season let's talk a little bit about last season the the last the last game that saturday night versus the oakland a's i i was in this you know i wrote the story i was in the clubhouse uh i, I the the dejection level from that team that i felt it, it was or that i saw was just something i'd never seen before i don't know you talked about it you thought you guys were going to find a way to get in how much how painful was that loss and how long did it kind of take to get over thinking about you know what could have been that night and going forward yeah you know we were on such a good roll really the whole month of september we really played our best baseball at the end of the year and 
you know, we really saw our, our, the leaders on our team really step up and, and really take ownership in what was going on, which is really, a, as a first-time manager, all I could really hope for is we get to that point. And, and when you did, I think everybody felt we were going to have enough to kind of, you know, get in one of those wild-card spots in the playoffs. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. But, you know, looking back, um, it was a, a huge step in the right direction, you know, for our ball club and, and for the guys to, to experience the kind of the playoff push, especially for you know, our veteran guys, but, but more importantly, some of our younger guys, you know, the, the Diaz's and the Nino's and guys like that, because they're going to be a big part of what we're doing here this upcoming season. But it was a tough pill to swallow because I think everybody thought we were going to get in. Did you think about it a lot in the off season at all? Oh, I did. I mean, you go back and you think about the, maybe the two or three or four games we never should have lost, but, you know, there was probably two or three we never had any business winning. So <laughs> it, uh, it does kind of, I guess, even out. But it, it's tough, you know, and you, you you're get knocked out by just a game or two. You always look back and think, ah, you know, we should have just done this a little bit better. If we could have stayed away from this long losing streak, we probably would have gotten in. But you know, it's baseball. It's very competitive. It's tough to win. Yeah, I, I when for anybody that tells me all oh, these players don't care, I remember going in that clubhouse, and I'm sure you like to see that too. That they did care. That that hurt them. That they weren't playing. You know that the next game wasn't going to be meaningful because the hundred first 161 games were meaningful. Yeah, it really was. I mean, and then like I said earlier, you're just hoping you can get your team to buy in and, and to play for something a little bit bigger than themselves. And I think we really got to that point. It's something that doesn't often happen. You know, fans from the outside, well, they should just only care about winning and. I think the majority of guys do, but when you have such a close knit team and they spend so much time together, the guys are really pulling for each other. And, you know, you could see it, the dejection, you could feel it uh, in our clubhouse afterward. We had a little post game meeting and a number of our players got up and talked and you could hear the emotion in their voice, which is a good thing. You know, it should hurt when you lose. So much was made about you managing for the first time ever. And, you know, there were doubters, there were skeptics, not me. I didn't write anything like that. But there were there were there was criticism even when Jerry hired you. You get through that first year. What did you learn about the job of managing that maybe you didn't know? I mean, you've been around managers your whole life. You played it for managers. You know, you basically helped hire and fire managers. What did you learn about the position? Well, I think it was it was all that I thought it might be and probably a little bit more. I absolutely love the job. I, I love being a Mariner and, and having the opportunity to represent the organization and, and try to get us over the hump, you know, get us into the playoffs. It's a great challenge. Uh, I think for me, you know, personally and, and kind of how it evolved throughout the season, I think um, got a lot better. I know I, I personally felt I got a lot better as the season went along and you know the relationships you have with, with the, your coaches, you know, and kind of even though I had known all the guys in the past, you know, you, you have to start working with people and understand and, and how they're thinking and how they're going to react. So I thought that our team coming together, our coaching staff coming together, and I thought, you know, myself kind of learning the tricks of the trade, so to speak, I thought the second half of the season uh, was much more comfortable for me. And what really leads me into a very optimistic off season and looking forward for us to getting to, to spring training. Do you have any regrets? Anything you, man, I wish I did that differently or anything like that. And it doesn't have to be in game or anything like that, but do you have any regrets? Yeah, there, there's, yeah, there's a few in game stuff that you would look back. Ah, I shouldn't have done this differently or that, but I think all managers do that. I know, you know, talking to the guys that have done it for a while, that's, that's just human nature, you know, but hopefully, you know, I, I do know that I, I learned a lot throughout the course of the season, learned a lot about our team, our players, learned a lot about myself, you know, and, and kind of how, you know, I react to certain situations and how important it is, I think, to, to stay consistent, you know, with, with, you know, how you're dealing with players and how you're handling things in the clubhouse. And I think 
you know, myself and our coaching staff did a good job with that last year. What, what were you proudest of from the whole aspect of the year? I mean, it doesn't have to be personal or team-wise, but what, what exactly were you most proud of with this team? I really think, you know, when I took over the ball club and not knowing really what to expect once I got to spring training, we had, you know, 30 new guys out of the 60 guys that reported spring training. 30 of those guys had never been Mariners before. So really a challenge to bring the group together. We had guys from eight different countries uh, on our team at some points throughout the year. So, you know, the language barrier, the culture barriers, uh, kind of the newness of, of being a mayor. I think the thing I was most proud of, I really felt that was able to bring the team together. And that was through a number of, you know, team building type things that maybe the fans don't see or hear a lot about. But we spent so much time together with a group of guys. It's really important to bring that group together and get them to understand and and care for each other and really respect each other. And I think that's what we were able to do. And I know our guys have stayed in contact with each other all off season, uh, just talking to a few of them. And I know they've been back and forth and they're looking forward to, to getting another bite at the apple and getting after it this next year. Could you have done it if Robbie and Nelson and those guys didn't buy in? Well, I was certainly a challenge and I knew that coming in. And that's why I, I sat down with those guys from the first day of spring training, kind of, I called our leadership group, which is, you know, Robbie and Nelson and Felix and, and Kyle Seeger, probably the main four guys. And that group got a little bit bigger as the season went on with some of our veteran players included. But getting those guys to, to understand what I, you know, I guess clearly laying the expectations out there for them um, on what we were trying to accomplish and how I wanted to go about doing it. And I think I raised a few eyebrows early on, but through over the course of the season, uh, it was great to see, you know, Robbie really step up and, be one of our vocal leaders, um, you know, a guy that we really didn't expect from. Leonis Martin was a big factor for our team. And bringing the group together with his personality. Uh, Nelson Cruz, you know, Seeger has that in him. You know, and, and uh, you know, it was really important that those guys do take ownership because I said it all along, it's their team. It really was, and it was nice to see it come together there at the end of the year. You have that good core of guys, and, and, and when you're – your stars are some of the best guys to deal with that, that sets a message, but you know, you go out and you guys get a guy like Danny Valencia who has a reputation within the game, seven teams in six years. He had the incident with Billy Butler, though knowing who Billy Butler is and being around him, I, I, I can see why that happened. Do you worry that all that that could disrupt kind of the, the good thing you've got going in there? Or do you think your guys are strong enough to handle the situation? Uh, I'm, I'm very, very uh, convinced that our guys are strong enough to handle it. And, you know, I think the the thing you look at different players uh, throughout the league and, uh, you know, there's certain guys that you know, may rub you a little, little wrong way or you hear things about, but you never really know until you, you get them in your uniform and you play with them and you live with them. And, you know, we're excited to have Danny on the team. It is a proven right-handed bat. Um, it's something that we desperately needed on our club. And I think he's going to be a great fit at first base, at third base, some outfield, some DH. And, uh, you know, I'm going to look at the positive and what he brings to our ball club. And also, you know, I've talked to him a few times on the phone. I'm actually planning on heading over towards Miami. I'll probably meet with him in about two weeks here and just kind of sit down and talk with him face-to-face and try to give him a heads-up on what he's walking into. Uh, I think our clubhouse is a, it's a pretty good place. It's a special place. Uh, we're, we're building something there, and, and I want him to be a part of it in a positive way. What does Gene Segura do for your lineup? He's a good player. <laughs> we, we like good players. Um, I've known, known Gene for a while. We had him, you know, when we were with Anaheim before we traded him to Milwaukee. And, um, you know, he had an outstanding year last year. I think he's really kind of coming into his own, hitting his prime. And, 
you know, I think the, the, the goal for us, the job ahead of, for us is in spring training is, you know, he played second base for the majority of the year last year in Arizona. We got to get him comfortable back at shortstop. He has played shortstop in the big leagues and played it pretty well, but you know, he hasn't done it a lot. So, you know, Tim Bogar, Manny Acta, our infield guys will spend a lot of time with him and get him as comfortable as possible, as quick as possible back at short. And, you know, I think at the, the top of the lineup, uh, you know, you kind of look at kind of the peripheral numbers, the type of season he had last year. He uses the whole field to hit. Um, he hits probably more balls to, to the right side of the field than any right-handed hitter in the National League last year. That's why he got so many hits. Um, he can certainly steal bases and kind of a dynamic player with, you know, I think he had 20 home runs last year, so there's power in there as well. But, you know, I'm excited to have him on the ball club. Uh, I know that he has a very good relationship with Robbie Cano, and it's going to be nice to have those guys up the middle working together. Yeah, they've already – I talked to Jerry. They're already working out in the Dominican Republic together. He, Cano helped him with his swing. It, it's, it's ideal having that kind of connection already going into the season, not having to build it. It really is. And I think, uh, you know, with the – you know, Robbie's kind of changed his workout programs in the offseason here to last year. I know he, he adjusted some things, and we saw it really paid off uh, getting off to the great start he had and really the, the great season he had. And I think the the one thing, and spending a lot of time with, with Latin players, especially guys from the Dominican, they really respect the older players, the guys that have gone before them and done it. And, you know, Robbie's had fantastic years, so there's no – it makes a lot of sense that Segura would, would kind of latch on to him and try to learn as much as he can and, you know, I think those guys will be a, a great pair up the middle for us. You know, going through your lineup, your projected lineup, which obviously can change because we both know Jerry Depoto and, and he never stops moving and shaking with his, his roster. But going through your kind of projected lineup, there's a chance where you could have two to three rookies in your lineup on a daily basis. Uh, ben Gamel, Mitch Hanniger, Dan Vogelbach. You know, this is something different for the Mariners than in the past few years. How do you handle rookies how do you know when maybe things are getting too much? Uh, can you see that yourself, or do you expect them to kind of talk to you about it? Well, I think with my background and in, in dealing with with younger players, and you know, trying to help guys move along, you know, through the minor leagues, and then staying very close to them while they're trying to kind of break through in the big leagues, I'm pretty sensitive to that. And and I do know it was an area that we needed to address. We needed to get a little bit younger uh, with our roster, and, and the only way to do that is to give guys an opportunity to play. You know, it's one thing to say it and talk it, but it's another thing to actually create the opportunity. Now, there's going to be opportunity for those guys. Uh, I think the one thing you'll see is is that we will be very patient with them, and we'll give them plenty of opportunity, understanding that there's going to be some, you know, some one for 15 or one for 20 streaks in there. You just got to ride it out. And I think, you know, those players you mentioned, uh, we certainly like them a lot. They, they've had, you know, a lot of success in the minor leagues. They've kind of done what they needed to do at the minor leagues, they just need somebody to give them an opportunity in the big leagues and it matches up for where our club needed to go. And, and like I said, get more younger, more athletic. So I'm excited about giving those guys the opportunity. Also understand kind of where we're at as a ball club and as a team and, you know, how valuable it is for us to get off to a decent start, have a good year and continue to, to move the, you know, move the ball down the court, so to speak, and, and what we want to get accomplished here. And that's, that's get into the playoffs, get into the postseason, and see where it takes us from there. Jerry's made it clear that he's looking to add a starting pitcher in the offseason, another one to go with your group. And, and, you know, that's no secret. One of our texters, we took some questions from the texters asking about what they would want to ask. And, and a texter asked, though, about another pitcher that should factor into your rotation. What is it going to take for Nathan Carnes to get 
to that level that you guys thought he would be when you traded for him, that a little more efficient, a little bit more consistent? Yeah, no, he's a he's a guy that we've talked a lot about this offseason. I've, I've talked to him on the phone a couple times just to see where he's at health-wise and, you know, trying to get him over the hump, so to speak. Um, he certainly has got the stuff, you know, a good fastball, you know, low to mid-90s. The, the breaking ball is certainly swing and miss. It's just the inconsistencies and the ability to work ahead in the count. You know, a number of ball games he was in last year, the pitch count just gets up there because of the number of 3-2 counts. Uh, that he runs on certain hitters and it catches up with them. So I think kind of where he's at understanding this is a great opportunity for him to kind of take the next step forward and not looking for the guy to <laughs> to be a number one or number two starter. But, you know, every time he takes the ball, every fifth day he goes out there, we feel good and he's going to give us a solid six innings. You know, that, that's what we're looking for. And doesn't necessarily have to be a, a shutout, you know, every time out, but, you know, keep us in the ball game, give us a chance. And, for that to happen, he's going to have to be much more efficient, you know, with his pitches. Try to get a little bit more, get some outs early in some counts, and get a little deeper in the ball game. Otherwise, you know, that pitch count kind of staring him in the face in, in the fifth inning, oftentimes. Yeah, and it was those struggles kind of happened at the most inopportune time when you got had some guys hurt, uh, and you just you guys had that streak. Right? I don't think you got a, fi- a six inning start from any one of your starters, or maybe one or two within like a fourteen game stretch. It's just hard to live like that for a bullpen. You know, I don't care how good the bullpen is, but when you have that kind of that that multitude of, of short starts, it, it just wears on a team. It, it does. Our bullpen was outstanding last year, you know, and I, I know, you know, the fans will look at certain games here or there got away from us, but uh, our guys did a nice job. And we went through that stretch, you know, we weren't getting consistent starting pitching deep into games, and it, it takes a toll, you know, on the bullpen after a certain amount of time. But, uh, I feel good uh, about our pitching staff. I know there's some question marks, and we would like to add one more guy if, if the right guy is out there. And I know Jerry and, and the guys in the front office are working their tail off to try to find the right fit. But if it doesn't happen, you know, we'll go to camp. We have picked up a couple other guys that really help the depth. Because I'm not mistaken, I think we used maybe 11, 12, maybe 13 starters last year. And so it's going to take more than five. There's a good chance you're going to end up using nine or ten different guys. And where we're at after the top five right now is, is really been improved. And I like where our depth is at and all those guys are going to play a really important role for us as the season plays out. Now we can't, you know, let an interview go by this time of year without talking football. I, I know that you are a <laughs> diehard football fan. Is there anybody playing better football than Aaron Rodgers right now in the NFL? You know, he's, it's pretty good right now. And I, I say that and I'm sure people in Seattle know I'm a, I'm a Packer fan, and, and uh, he has been on fire. It's, it's been fun to watch. They certainly needed it. Uh, they were struggling <laughs> for in the middle of the season really, really bad. It's about the worst football I've seen them play in a long time. But, uh, you know, being up in Wisconsin right now, the people are excited about the game this uh, weekend coming up against the Lions, and I think there will be a lot of points scored in that one. It'll be interesting. You've talked to a ton of uh, football coaches. I know you've been to Seahawks practice. I, I know you were on the sidelines of the game. Is there anything from a football coach that you take into or a football philosophy that you take into baseball? Because, I mean, they're completely different in so many ways. But is there anything from a leadership standpoint you take? There's actually a lot. I think a lot of the ideas, a lot of the things I've done to try to help bring our team together has come from football and, and football coaches. And, you know, you look at different guys, you know, and, and especially the college guys, I think, have done an outstanding job of kind of like, defining and creating a certain culture and you know Pete Carroll's done it with the Seahawks there's there's no doubt I think uh, I'm very intrigued I, I'm excited to, to see how uh, the Huskies uh, end up playing against Alabama I think what uh, 
Coach Peterson's done over there has been outstanding. Uh, I'm looking forward to maybe get a chance to meet and talk with him. But kind of watching from afar and what he's put together and how they've gone about it, uh, I think it's going to be a lot closer game. I think it's going to be a good ball game with Alabama. Uh, I've got uh, two of my daughters go to Ole Miss, so I know SEC football a little bit, and I, I think Washington is going to give them a heck of a game. Okay, you, you think they're going to give them a game, but do you have a prediction? I do. Oh, you do. Okay, what do you got? <laughs> well, I think when you get into those type of games and the fact that Alabama has been there, you're going to need a couple breaks, a couple things to go your way. But uh, there's two things that, that Washington's got. I think they got a very good defense, and you've got to – to really play well defensively uh, against Alabama. And uh, I think your quarterback has to get hot. Your quarterback has to have a big game and, and play well. And, and I think they've got a guy that can do that. So, uh, like I said, I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, whether they can pull it out or not, I think it'll come down to maybe the way the ball bounces there at the end. But uh, it'll, it'll be a very entertaining game to watch. So you got a score prediction or are you going to hedge on this a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> How about how about we go the Huskies with an upset? Uh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go 27 to 23. Wow, the call on the upset. I, I I'm stunned. I'm stunned. I, when then we got to ask you too. I mean, how far how far can the Packers go? And also, I I want. Are you regretting not going to the Packers Vikings game at Lambeau now? Oh, you mean the Packers Seahawks or Packers Seahawks game? I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's uh, I'm not. No. It's. <laughs> I'm up in Wisconsin right now, but uh, that was my original thought was to get to that Packers-Seahawks game. I didn't get to that when I caught the Seahawks uh, back at home in Seattle uh, the week after that, but uh, no regrets. Uh, I love going to Lambeau Field, but uh, had some other stuff come up, and, and uh, we'll catch that another time. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on and talking Mariners baseball. When you said that it's only 50 days away or whatever, I think it's actually, I looked today, it's 47 days away until pitchers and catchers yeah. report, which... I got a little twitch in my right eye just thinking about that, but uh, it is—it's time, you know. I, I, you know, when you're in the cold weather and stuff, you like to think about the warm days and baseball. I am excited, um, you know. I know you are. It's just—it's time for it to kind of get going again. It's hard to get out of that rhythm. No, I'm—I'm I'm looking forward to. Like I said, after the first year, I'm gonna get down to the uh, probably get down to Florida and maybe into the Dominican. I know a few of our guys are playing winter ball. I want to stop in and see Valencia and, and Leonis Martin and, and catch up with some of our guys even before they get out there. So I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on, and uh, I look forward to seeing you here down the road, Ron. Yeah, you're, oh, your pitcher threw tonight, too. He threw four innings, three of them perfect. Yes, he did. Yeah, so that's yes, he, he trending in the right direction. Better tonight. Okay, well, yes, good. it is, and uh, we figured it would go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for coming on. Take care. All right, that wraps up this week's show. Uh, big thanks again to Scott Service, Larry Stone, Sports Radio KJR for helping us out. Also to Midnight Salvage Company for the music. Um, and big thanks to anybody who's listening. We are working through the audio as always. Every week, This I think it gets a little bit better. I hope. <laughs> but uh, we'll talk again next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>